Today's episode of the Can't Wait Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Jets tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in just two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score some last-minute tickets. Donald, end zone, touchdown! What a return to the NFL, it's been for him! Didn't get there! Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. I mean, it's the NFL, man. It's the NFL. Can't can't be embarrassed by this shit. Maybe Adam Gase isn't embarrassed, but I think some of his players may be. I'm pretty sure the fan base is. This game completely living up to the hype as the Jets out-tank the tankers. Gase loses to his former team. The Jets lose to their former quarterback. This is the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes and Connor. Uh, we're going to get into Gase. I guess maybe we should start there. We have a lot to get to. We'll get to, to Darnold's performance and, and just the mess that is this defense We'll do uh, some press box food power rankings, of, of course, as well. But let's start there with Gase. Is the hot seat for real right now? Uh, as far as like him potentially getting fired like this week or in season, I, I, I highly, highly doubt that that would happen. And, and I still very much lean towards him uh, being not let go. I, I guess if that's that's probably total wrong tense in, in speaking and stuff like that, but uh, that was poor grammar on my part, but I, I think he's still probably going to be safe. And and but but all bets like the the a hundred percent sure, no no possible way he gets let go after a game like this. That that's completely off the table. You know, it really is. It's it's entirely 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 off the table to just assume that Gase is is safe and the Gase is going to be okay because this is this was rock bottom. Like this was as bad and as lowly as you can get. I mean, the Jets just lost to a team organizationally constructed not to win football games. I mean, this front office has built a team that they're trying to lose. They're tanking for Tua. That's what they're doing. And the Jets lost to him. I know the score was technically like a, a one-ish possession game, but it really wasn't. I mean, the Jets were were really beaten by the Dolphins. I mean, this was this game was over. I mean, the, the Jets had no – it was it should have been actually more than what it was if the Dolphins recovered that ball in the end zone. But it, it, it's to the point now where if the Jets can't beat the Dolphins – they're not going to be favored for any other game the rest of the season, even when they play Washington and Dwayne Haskins, even when they play the Giants next week, even when they play the Bengals, even when they play the Dolphins again. I mean, they should not be favored in any of those games. And if they can't beat the Dolphins, well, then now you're you're seriously talking about a situation where this team could be 1-15, 2-14. And if you have a team that is 1-15, 2-14, all bets are off with the coach. They're, they're, no one is technically safe when you have a record that bad and that terrible and the one thing too is that you had a, I mean we all saw it the anyone who watched the game on tv anyone who watched the game from the press box 
saw Brian Winters turn around and yell at the franchise quarterback, which means you now have a situation in that locker room where you're borderline capable of playing offensive guard, thinks it's okay to go scream at the franchise quarterback and then keep it going on the sideline until Sam had to calm him down. I mean, that that's that's when you, you're starting to see signs of this thing potentially fracturing and breaking and 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 tearing apart. I mean, that's that's how bad this is now getting. And if this team truly does split, and they, I, I don't know if they technically quit on Adam Gase, but the fact that they just lost to, to the Dolphins in a game that they knew meant so much to their coach against his former employer, it's... I think all bets are off. Now, the one thing that I do regularly go back to and the thing I continually go back to is that this was Christopher Johnson's guy. I mean, Christopher Johnson picked Adam Gase. He's the one who Peyton Manning sold to him. He's the one who believed that, that, uh, that, that you know, was going to help Darnold reach his franchise quarterback stature. This, that was all Christopher Johnson who chose Adam Gase. He picked him to be his head coach. He is so hell-bent on, on proving that he can put the Jets in a better position than what his brother Woody did, that firing Gase after one season would be admitting such a horrific mistake by him that I don't know if he's ready to admit yet that he made a mistake like that. So that's the one thing that I keep going back to that like I really just can't see Christopher admitting he was that wrong and firing Gase, which is what it would have been or what it would be if he if he truly did let him go. Uh, with that said, though, again, if this team goes 1-15, and 15, two and 14 and the locker room splits and you already have the drama like you do with Adams and everything. I just don't know. I it's like I said, all bets are off and there is no, no one's job is hundred percent safe. You mentioned Adams and you seem calm. Like Adams was post game. The, the, we've had some rants after some of these games this season, Connor, but, but yeah. you seem like you've just kind of resigned to the fact that this is a bad football team. It's interesting because yeah, that's what we kind of got from Jamal Adams as well. As far as Gase goes, I mean, at this point, you see the the failure in Miami, the failure this season with the Jets, and he had the success, and of course the famous Peyton Manning and quarterback guru, all, guru, all that. I would think there's a definite case to be made that Adam Gase is a great coach when he has a Hall of Fame quarterback to work with, but otherwise, maybe he's not. I, look, there's nothing at the moment to to counteract that statement. I mean, I think that Gase is a guy who runs a very detail or detail-oriented offense. That is how his plays work. That is how he can make things happen. That's why his offense is great when it is. Is It is so detail-oriented. It is a scheme that requires players to break at the at the exact position on the field because you have to if, if uh quince like a perfect example is that interception you know in the end zone that, that sam darnold threw i mean that play design has worked 100 times but it needs to be run exactly because robbie anderson needs to cut in at the exact nth of the yardage like the exact centimeter of the yardage to then have jameson crowder come in right behind him and go into the flat and catch the touchdown wide open for the t- for right wide open for the score We've seen it work a dozen times in training camp. You saw it work in the preseason opener against the Giants. That's the play the Jets were trying to run just on the other side of the field. And instead, Robbie Anderson gets thrown off his route uh, by the DB. That bumps him into Jamison Crowder. It basically creates a cluster you-know-what in the middle of the field. Darner rolls out. No one's open. Robbie Anderson tries to, to just run off his route and do his own thing to get open. That didn't work. And all of a sudden, you have a, a quarterback who makes a horrendous decision just throws the ball up, trying to throw it out of bounds, and it's picked off. So... Gase's offense needs to be run so, so tightly, like so, so tightly with those details that it just doesn't work when guys are off. And I think you need a certain type of player 
to be able to have success in that kind of an offense. You need guys that are very um, cerebral players, guys who can think next level in terms of, okay, well, if the DB does this, I still need to get here, so I need to reroute to do this. Like He needs those kind of players. He had it in Denver with, obviously, Peyton Manning at quarterback, who was about as detailed as anyone else. He had it in his receivers when he was working with uh, Wes Welk, who, again, a very brilliant player. Uh, he also had, obviously, Demarius Thomas there, another very detail-oriented player. I mean, he had an offensive line, an offensive team that worked to his scheme, which is why you saw his scheme work so effectively. Obviously, Peyton helped some. He doesn't have those players right now with the Jets. Robbie Anderson is not a detailed guy. Demarius Thomas at one point was, but that was 10 years ago. He's not the player he used to be. Uh, Jamison Crowder is a, is a is a decent route runner. When he knows this is the exact route I'm supposed to run, he can run that route. But what he's not is he's not a very good reactionary player. So when he's given option routes, two, three option routes, he's not very good real time and reacting to, okay, the, D, the DB is doing this, so I need to cut off and react and do something different. Gase doesn't necessarily have his players to make his scheme work. Now, the, the counter argument to that is that he should be able to, if he's this great offensive mind and this offensive wizard and quarterback guru, he should be able to adjust his scheme so that it is more... Uh, more players can run it or this, his scheme can work to uh, with the players that he has. It shouldn't just be, this is my scheme. I need players that fit my scheme. And uh, that's the only way my scheme is going to work. Well, no, you have to sometimes adjust your scheme to the players that you have so that you can still find some form of success because right now this is just dreadful. And I always go back to this and I wrote it, uh, I think during the game story last week, the offensive line is not good. The offensive line is pretty bad. But this is roughly the same offensive line, if not a little bit better than the offensive line that the Jets had last year. And they did not look this bad. They didn't look this terrible. This offense has more talent than it did last year under Todd Bowles and Jeremy Bates, yet they looked better under Todd Bowles and Jeremy Bates. I mean, this is just, this is so bad. I don't get it. Like, Gase needs to figure out why his scheme isn't working and fix it because it just, it makes no sense to me. And it is so embarrassing if you're a player on this team watching this, I mean, Gase should be embarrassed. The players should be embarrassed. Sam Darnold should be embarrassed because this is pathetic. This is not football. Like, this is, this. I don't know what the Jets are doing for four quarters. I watched the Ravens play last night. I watched the end of the Seahawks game last night. The Jets are playing a different sport. They're not doing <laughs> what the freaking Seattle Seahawks are doing. They're not doing what the Ravens are. I don't know what they're doing on the field, but it's an embarrassment. And these players, these offensive line, which had more success last year, Frank Pollock and Adam Gase need to figure out what the hell is going on because they need to get those guys. Just, just go back and use Jeremy Bates' playbook. As asinine as that sound, considering how terrible Jeremy Bates was, who's probably in a mountain somewhere by himself in a cabin. Like, just that, that's the, and that was the guy that just trusted to uh, raise their quarterback as a rookie. He's having more success than Adam Gates. He needs to figure out why all of these players at least found some semblance of competence last year compared to now when they're just, I don't know what they're doing because it's not football. Like, no one knows. It's week 10, week 9, I'm sorry. These players have no idea what they're supposed to do on the field. The offensive line couldn't block you or I. I mean, Marissa could blitz in the, the A gap and freaking get, get to Darnold. And like, that's how bad this line is. And I know Marissa's a ferocious pass rusher, so I don't mean that as a slight, <laughs> at, a slight at her or anything. But, that, like, this is just, it's so amazing to me, Tim, because this team is better on paper and more talented than they were last year, yet it's just not working. Like, the offensive line... It's the same center last year that found some uh, during Sam Darnold's four-game streak where he was having success against the Packers and Jonathan Harrison. It's Brian Winters. It's Brandon Shell. Chuma Daga, I guess, isn't as good as Kelvin Beecham, but, but that's the one weak spot. Alex Lewis is a better player than James Carpenter, and this is what they're putting on the field. Like I said, I don't know 
why it's I, I I don't know why it's I don't know I, I I have no answers for for why this looks so ugly and this is so bad. But the Jets need to figure this crap out because it's an embarrassment. Like these players need to look in the mirror, look at themselves, and be like, "What the hell am I doing?" Like, like you, it starts with like it starts with looking at yourself and fixing it from there, and then collectively coming together as a team. Because right now, if you're a part of the Jets, you're a laughing stock. You are the laughing stock of the NFL. You just lost to a team trying not to win, Tim. That is abysmal. And this team, I'm not saying I'm not saying circus, I'm not saying same old Jets. They're an embarrassment and the laughing stock of the NFL. Teams are laughing at the Jets. That's that's what this has come to. Teams are laughing at the Jets. That's what this is. And they need to at some point like just man up and be like this needs to stop and come out and make something happen because this is just this is abysmal. And these games have these these just glaring moments that just they defy almost like burn. logic. It defies logic. Right. They burn into your skull almost though. Like the, the things that people are going to think back on the season and be like, oh, remember the safety when they just snapped it over Donald's head and he wasn't and ready Sam for Dar's it. Sam looking at the ball. The ball's laying in the end zone and you got two guys just staring at it. Like, oh, there's the ball. Get to it, man. <laughs> like, get to it. Like, try, think, not even try to rec- like try to bat it out of the end zone for a safety. Try to dive on it for a safety. I know it ended in a safety. It should have been a touchdown because the Dolphins are still the Dolphins. And three guys jumped on the ball <laughs> and squirted out of the back of the end zone. Any other team, it's a touchdown. Like, Sam Darnold looked at the ball on the ground, looked back to his lineman, and then was like, oh, wait, yeah, that is a live ball. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, and this is what like, I'm sure we'll get to this. Like, Sam Darnold's regression is so alarming. Like that, and I don't care. Like people need to get out of my mentions and stop getting on my ass about this. About how like saying Sam Darnold's regressing. Oh, it's the offensive line. Who the hell cares if it's the offensive line? Who the hell cares if the quarterback? If it's the if it's the coaching? Who the hell cares if he doesn't have a receiver? You're talking about the franchise quarterback. Doesn't look like a franchise quarterback. He looks terrible. Sam Darnold these last three games has looked like a bust. That's what your franchise quarterback looks like. A bust. He looks terrible. The turnovers are back. His footwork's terrible. He can't make any decisions. He's doing things that in football, quarterbacking 101, the book. I, I like the, the furthest I ever got in playing quarterback was flag football. And I know you're not supposed to do this shit. And he's out there doing it, dude. Like, like who is getting wrapped up and you just have the thought process that it's okay to just toss the ball up in the air all willy-nilly. Like, that's quarterbacking 101 that you're not supposed to do it. And the Jets have cultivated an environment where Sam Darnold believes he can get away with that stuff. Like, you can't it was almost- have that. He's regressing so quickly. And I'm just like, all these people are on my ass about it. Like, get off it because watch the game. It doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter if it's because of the offensive line. It doesn't matter if it's because of the, if it's the, 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 the receivers. It doesn't matter if it's because of the scheme, the play calling, the opponents. It doesn't matter. The fact is, Sam Darnold looks nothing like the guy who played the final four games of last year. He looks nothing like the guy that was in the summer this season. He looks like someone completely lost on the field. And I know the Jets wanted to turn a corner this year. I know the Jets hoped... To, to, to see, a, a, you know, to, to usher in a new age of Jets football, take flight, all that mumbo-jumbo garbage. What they needed, not wanted, not hoped, not dreamed, what they needed was to see Sam Darnold take the next step in his development and become a franchise quarterback. He has not done that. He's gone back. He looks worse than he did as a rookie, and the Jets need to figure out why because that is the biggest red flag on this season from hell where the Jets are 1-7, trending towards 1-15, is that Sam Darnold doesn't look off, doesn't look uh, not right. He looks bad. He looks like a bad quarterback that doesn't know how to play quarterback, that has terrible fundamentals, terrible decision-making, and is trending towards a bust. And the Jets need to figure out why and get him right back on track. Otherwise, this season 
it went as bad as it possibly could because the quarterback that I saw against the Miami freaking Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins, again, a team trying not to win and having a defense that is historically bad, they manage to have a game of their life against Darnold and make Darnold look bad. Like that needs to soak in. A defense that Mason Rudolph tore up last Monday night just managed to butt kick Sam Darnold up and down the field for four quarters absent one drive. And I, I don't know why. Yeah, and the one drive is the the other thing that just makes you scratch your head a little bit. Um, and he ended up 27 to 39, 260. So the interception looked like he was trying to throw a hook shot or whatever. I know he was just trying to throw it away, but at that point, um, take it. But moving on from that, moving on from the safety that was obviously just miscommunication and led to, to that mess, they come out and the opening drive was perfect. Surgical. It was as good yeah. as it could be. They go right down the field, 75 yards. He's hitting open receivers. They ran the ball. They mixed in the run a little bit. I don't understand how that can happen, and then it can all go downhill, and it happens two weeks in a row. How can they look that good for a drive? Is Adam Gase that good at, at coming out with his initial plan of plays, his in-place plays, and then it goes falls apart? Or I, I don't understand it. I don't know if you have any insight into how a team can look great for six minutes and then putrid for 54. Dude, no, there's no reasoning for why the hell the Jets look like they do. Like I, I, I don't know if anyone can explain why this is going on, but – uh, what I can like I can't I, I I can't tell you why they're breaking down, but what I can say is that uh, the Adam Gase scripts his first uh, I think it's like basically first two possessions or like 14, 15 plays, however that ends up being. Uh, he scripts them before the game. The team goes through them in the walkthrough. They go through them during the week. This is how we're going to open up. We're going to go bang 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 all the way down the field. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Um, then after those those scripted plays, like other coaches do, like I, I think Jeremy Bates used to do it too. I know Andy Reid is infamous for doing it. Yep, uh, it's very very common for teams to script their initial like ten plus plays or something like that. Like first, I think it's like fifteen. I think is what they do. I can't remember the exact number. Got Ace has talked about it. I just have to go back and look and, and see when specifically he said how many scripts. So that aside. I think after Bill Walsh initial, started that way back in yeah, the day. Yeah. Yeah. And so after the initial wave of those after the initial wave of those um plays, then it goes down to the playbook. And that's when Gase is reacting. You know, the defense changes, you react to the defense, the defense reacts to you, that kind of thing. So uh for whatever reason, look when the first first uh six games of the season when the Jets weren't scoring on their opening drives, everyone was saying, like, you need to stop scripting because it's bad. Now suddenly, you know, they would get it going later on. Now suddenly the the scripting's back. And it's working, and now they can't do anything else. So uh, I do know that, that his whatever he's scripting beforehand and what they're hammering and working on during the week, and I think maybe that is, like talking it out right now, maybe that's it, that this Jets team is just practicing so much on those first 50, those first several plays, which is what's normal. Every team does that, that they're getting them down to a science, that they're able to get these players that aren't so detail-oriented like Robbie Anderson. You're hammering home. This is what you're doing on these plays, that he's really able to practice it and really get it into his mind so we know. So all of these plays are working so brilliantly because all these players are on the same page because they're scripted and they knew exactly what they're supposed to do. That suddenly then maybe when they're hearing plays in the huddle and reaction, you know, and uh, hearing plays in the huddle and then adjusting to them, running them on the fly, that they just have mental breakdowns. I, I don't know. That would be one of my assumptions. But again, this is just, this shouldn't be happening in week nine, man. Like th that's what I'm saying. This season, this team, they defy logic because this isn't how this is supposed to work and and here we are 
They had problems on the O-line, but then protection with Bell as well on the one play in the fourth quarter where Donald just got lit up because Bell decided to go the other direction to pick up the blitz where it wasn't coming from. I mean, that was ugly. And Bell in general, um, they got him into the game more as we knew they would have because he, uh, with his texting back and forth with Gase the previous week, but... And early on, I thought they got him in in good ways, but then you get confused because they're on the goal line. They don't use him. Then on third, and they had back-to-back third and fours, and they go to him twice on third and fours, yeah. which in 2019 is not a running down in the NFL. I mean, it, no. it it's good they used Bell. I still think there's plenty of question marks of when and where and why they used him. Yeah, I, I think that he overcompensated. and I, that, yeah. Yeah, I wrote this after the game. I think I honestly believe that, that Adam just – See, when you go back and you look at look at his teams in uh, when, when he had his teams with the um, uh, I'm, I lost for words when when he had his teams with the Broncos, um, when he had his teams in even when he was with Mike Martz in in, uh, um, in Detroit, when he actually I'm pretty sure the Jets had taken Matt Forte at that point. So when he was with the the Bears in 2015. I'm trying to think when the Jets had Matt Forte. No, they didn't. He had Matt Forte that year. But then when he was with the Dolphins, Adam Gase, aside from really that year with Forte and half a season with with Jay Ajayi, he never has the elite level running back. Like, that's just not his offenses are so very pass happy. He uses the running back, but he's never had a running back that demanded the ball as the focal point on offense. It's just not how Adam Gase's offense was work, which is why this offseason, while Adam Gase did not want Bell, the biggest push in that building to go get him and to go sign him was um uh christopher johnson that when the jets missed out on anthony Barr, he wanted to splash he wanted to ignite fans and, and and make fans excited and he didn't want to make people to think about the same old jets that no one wanted to play here that the jets uh increased their pursuit of levy and bell they were always going after him but they were kind of lowballing him to a point and saying like okay well we want you but this is the deal we want you on that when they lost Anthony Barr, they increased their offer to Le'Veon Bell, and then Bell eventually accepted the deal because Christopher Johnson really wanted him. One of the reasons why Adam Gase wasn't as like, oh, we need to have this guy is because his offenses don't usually use that elite level running back, all pro running back that you need to give him the ball. It's just not how his scheme usually works. He's more pass happy. He's joked that if it was up to him, he'd throw the ball 70 times a game and he would never use the running back. So he's now kind of, it just looks awkward. It looks like a match that doesn't, work you know what i mean it's almost like if you took a, a a husband and wife and or two random people and put them in a house together and say hey your husband your wife now be a husband and wife like it, you, there's no chemistry there that it seems like gase is like overcompensating and just trying to get Le'Veon bell involved but it's totally not within the flow of the game but i also don't think he has an idea of how to have bell worked in in the flow of the game and and it's basically because he's never had a back like this before and 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 he's never had to involve a back like this before and and so you're seeing the struggles of him okay like in you can tell it's in his head that he's saying i need to get bell the ball i need to get bell the ball i need to get bell the ball so he's just giving him the ball but at the same time it's not within the game plan it's not within the flow of the game it's not within like okay this is how we should definitely get him the ball you know like if we use bell like this then that'll free him up it's just it's all so off and you know, he still has another eight games here to go to try to figure out how to work him in there. But if it keeps going like this and he keeps treading in this direction where it's, you know, it's just not working, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Jets legitimately open trade discussions for Le'Veon Bell in the offseason where they deal him to a team, they agree to play a, pay a portion of his salary, and then that team gets Le'Veon Bell where maybe they can use him a little bit more. Because right now it's so it's not working at all. And Gase, clearly, it looks like he just doesn't have any idea how to use him. 
that now they're they gotta they gotta figure like they gotta figure out why it's not working and and Gase specifically needs to figure out how to have Bell in the game plan without just forcing Bell into the game plan and and it hasn't happened so far it's got time to ha- they've got time to figure it out if they don't figure it out they might as well consider trading it because this isn't this isn't working and you can tell Bell's getting frustrated he left the locker room which is totally unacceptable now he left the locker room again without speaking to the media which is. It's just, I mean, look, you want to be a leader. You have to discuss, you have to talk after the game. And the whole, I don't want to say something that, you know, I don't want to say anything that's going to, that's going to get me in trouble. Fine. It's, that was a fine excuse for the first time you missed it. And it was like, okay, well you stepped, okay, you needed one day to cool off. Whatever you made it up to us because you talked to us uh, in the locker room. You were really good. You were open. You were honest. This does not mean that when things go bad, you can just talk to us on Wednesday and, and completely ignore your media obligations right after the game. Every player has to be made available and has to talk after the game. And uh, for him to bounce, that was weak for a second week in a row. He's got to be out there. Yeah, especially when so many good things have been said about his leadership qualities and all of that. So uh, when you look to the defense in this game, I feel like there's less that we can really rip apart on the defense just because at this point we know the defense is what it is. It's bad. Um, the linebackers we talked about it last week are, are down to the third and fourth string linebackers. The the secondary's never really been good. Um, but a couple things, I guess, to to break down. Um, one that you got into in your story as well was Quinn and Williams, because we thought that that with Leonard Williams gone, we were going to see more of the rookie and more reps and get a chance to get in there. And you uh, you question Greg Williams' rotation, which I think makes a lot of sense. I mean. Yeah, rotations are great, and having healthy or fresh players and fresh legs on the field are great. But you know what's better than that? Having your best players on the field. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I know I knew this like going in, like talking to people who had covered Greg Williams and Greg Williams' defenses. They said like he does things where you just—it's almost like when you talk about an offensive coordinator, and it's very common. Offensive coordinators outsmart themselves where they start thinking too much, and then all of a sudden, like they do something where you're like, "What are you? Doing? You're making this way too, way too complicated." It's almost like that's happening with Greg Williams that he just thinks he knows and he's just going out and when when the most obvious solution to some of these problems is right in front of his eyes. Like for example, don't put James Burgess on Mike Jazeski, James Burgess who couldn't cover you or I. Don't put him on the vertical threat type end, Mike Jazeski. Like you don't do that. Have Jamal Adams covered. I know that means that Jamal Adams maybe is going to be able to blitz and and just line up and and freelance at the line, but. It also means that Mike Jazeki is not going to catch six passes for 95 yards against you and just torch, absolutely torch James Burgess. Like, just don't do that. And with the defense, I know you want to rotate guys. I know you want to have fresh legs. But Nathan Shepard should not be on the field instead of Quinn and Williams. Jordan Willis should not be on the field instead of Quinn and Williams. I know Foley Fadzikasi is having a good game. Shouldn't be on the field instead of Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams was the number three pick in the draft. He's a guy that's supposed to be J.J. Watt. He's supposed to be a defensive game wrecker. Put him on the field every play. The only time that guy should come off is if he is legitimately tired. And he's like, coach, I need a breather. Bigger guy, I need, need a breather. There are plays there where, like, I'm sitting there. I sit in the press box next to Samini. I'm a rich Samini. I'm like, dude, where's Quinn and Williams? Like, the guy, like, I think that, and I wrote this too, but it's, but pass rushers are very much like running backs where some guys need to get going. Like, you know, you talk about, um, uh, Adrian Peterson is kind of like this. And that's why he didn't work in New Orleans because New Orleans had a backfield and you saw them use that backfield perfectly then with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, where those two guys can pretty much make their runs whenever. Like you could have Mark Ingram get no touches for 30 minutes, put him in there, and he'll break off like a 12 yard run. And the same thing with Kamara. Adrian Peterson, though, is somebody who needs to get going. He's one of those guys that gets better as the game goes on. His first six, seven touches are not going to be nearly as good as his next seven because he starts to get going, starts breaking down the defense, really starts making runs. 
then he makes his plays. And that's a lot of running backs. A lot of running backs are like that. They, that's why they say they just need to get going. Well, pass rushers are similar in that regard. They need Some guys need to get going. And I think that this year, Quinton Williams has never been able to get into a pass rushing rhythm because he starts to get going a little bit, and then the Jets take him off the field. And he's on the field for a series. Then he gets back out there. Then he comes out. Then he gets back there. Like, he should just be in there, allow him to keep going against the pat, going against the offensive lineman, breaking down the lineman, breaking, and figuring out, okay, all right, so I'm going up against this particular left tackle. I've been hitting with my bull rush for the last six or seven pass rushes. I know he's now going to expect a bull rush so I can fake that then come around and swim or maybe give him a spin. So you get him thinking bull rush. He gets his set like strength and kind of sits down to protect that bull rush. That then you can use your agility to get around the outside because that's one thing that Quinnen has is while he's a bigger guy, 34 defensive end, he's much quicker than your, than your prototypical 34 defensive end. So you can use your pass rushing repertoire to set things up. You can, you know, and then even the same thing, you can go speed move, speed move, speed move, Get the, the the offensive lineman to open up a little bit to anticipate that speed move. Then boom, hit him with the pat, hit him with a bull rush and drive him into the quarterback. You can do that when you're continually playing on the field because you can set things up. When you're in out in out in out, you're not setting anything up. I know you technically have fresh legs, but you're not allowed to get in a rhythm or set anything up. And I, I just I don't get like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. And, and Greg thinks that he's doing all and the defense is fine. Look, the defense isn't fine, man. The Jets are like 28th in the NFL in sacks. And I know the Jets, uh, you know, sit here and boast about how the ball's out so quick. The ball's out so quick. That's BS, dude. You watch these quarterbacks. Fitz too. They just sit in the pocket and they have an hour to throw. I mean, this, the Dolphins line stinks. But you watch when, like, the, the when Minshew played the Jets or, or when the, the the Patriots played the Jets. Like those quarterbacks, they're not getting the ball out in two seconds. They're just sitting back there reading a the paper and waiting for someone to get open. So it's total BS. I mean, I think that, but I think a hundred percent. They just need to have him in. They need to have him on the field in the game. And you can start to see all the time. And you maybe you can see him get into a rhythm and really start to make his presence felt and impose his will. Because what they're doing right now with him is just, it, it's just, it defies, again, this is like the theme of the Jets season. It defies logic. You mentioned at the beginning a little bit that the team has to look at itself. Um, unfortunately, it went the other way a little bit for Daryl Roberts, who after the game apparently, and granted frustration after a loss like that, but he's, he's looking at the he's fans. He's blaming player. the fans on Instagram, and I'm not going to read it for for verbatim what he for verbatim what he said, but basically he called out fans for being fake ass fans and not being in it with the team, which. It only goes so far when you're one and seven, Daryl. I mean, at some point the fans are going to turn on you because you stink and you don't just stink, but you're playing an embarrassing brand of football. Is Roberts going to have to backtrack? What I mean, I assume he's going to no, get a crowd a this play. week. No, he's a he's a bad football player. Right, he's the worst guy to be doing that though, right? Because yeah. not only you're sticking up to the fans, but you're not even one of the better players on a terrible football team. Correct, correct, and so it's like. It's just again, it's just like like attacking fans. Got like I'm sure it's not gonna make the Jets happy because you know they're they're already struggling to sell tickets, and now you got someone basically telling the fans to f off. So uh, no, but I mean, this is just a bad football player. That the the Jets the Jets I, I, the world knew that that this is who Daryl Roberts was, and Mike McCagden for some reason thought that no, he had a couple good games last year at corner, so he can definitely be a starter. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I don't think there's – I don't know if they'll make him apologize. I mean, maybe they'll trot him out in front of the media. And he can say he's sorry. My emotions got the best of me. But, look, he's a, he's a bad player. Won't be back with this team moving forward. And, and this is kind of where the Jets are. The fact that they thought that this guy could be a starter and, and play every week is, is just mind-boggling. 
So weekends are made for football, and what the Jets did is technically still football, Connor. And with so many college and pro games on the slate, DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, with hoops and hockey going, DraftKings, the Sportsbook app, can can get you in on the action 24-7 all year long. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and with you with so much going on, they have great promotions running all month long. Connor, I'm not sure if you've heard about this one, but you want to hear about this now. This week, DraftKings is running a first touchdown score promotion. Just bet on the first touchdown score in any primetime football, pro football game, and get protected with your wager back if they get any point in the game. How's that for insurance? You love DraftKings as well, correct, Connor? I do, yeah, but not. I'm sure DraftKings loves me too with how much money I'm giving away. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think it goes both ways. I don't know if. I don't know if I love them as much as they as much as they love me, which is why we're probably going to be starting to get sponsorships off of this picks. I mean, uh, I've I've been having the worst luck with DraftKings. Uh, I mean, we'll get into our picks a little bit later. I went I, at least I bounced back from zero and four to go two and two. But oh, that that Colts, the Adam Vinatieri missing like a forty yard field goal to 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 blow the cover against the Steelers. Man, it could have been a three and one week instead. It's two and two off of zero and four. It's just. The ball's not bouncing my way. At the same time, when like Melvin Gordon fumbled at the inch yard line, that was that would have been another cover. Oh, it's just. Brutal, but no, I, I like DraftKings. I love the promos that they do. They always have kind of cool stuff that throws in there. Like they ran one a, a while ago with the Yankees where uh, you bet like $100 in the money line. You got $20 for every run that they scored. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're a, a great book. They're, they're, uh, they're user-friendly. Um, they definitely have uh, – they, they keep fans engaged. So I, I, I can't recommend them enough. I, I do like DraftKings a lot. So just do the opposite of Connor, and you'll be on your way with DraftKings. Yeah, Download the yeah. DraftKings <laughs> – Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK for a limited time. All new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. That's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus of $500. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, and a perfect time for our picks now, Connor. And you led the way after an 0-4. You bounced back, but just 2-2. and So not a great performance, but at least it's a yeah. it's a step in the right direction. So you're 2-2. Two and two. Marissa and I both went 1-3. and three. But just take us through the 2-2, two and two, and it was close to being better. Yeah, it was, man. I mean, the, the Jets won, obviously, you, you hit on that one. That was just, uh, honestly, like, it was more like in your, like, I thought that there was more of a chance of the Jets blowing that one than, than uh than them just walking away with it. So I just did not feel comfortable betting, but, you know, putting like taking the Jets minus three. So they went Dolphins plus three. That was a good one. Seahawks were, were a little bit of a scare there early, right? I mean, Jameis Winston, I, I know I was messaging you guys. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like I take Jameis last week, then he plays like the Jameis Winston who stinks. And now he's up 21, seven on the Seahawks. Like what's going on here? But well, and then they uh, missed uh, the field goal to win and, it. And, uh, Thank yeah. God. Thank God. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you know, I was actually watching that in the press. Yeah, I was watching that in the press box. We were watching this like taken down, and I was talking to a buddy of mine. I was like, "We need Jason Mott because he took the Seahawks as well in like an office pool." I was like, "You need the Seahawks to miss this kick because if they miss this kick, that means in overtime they're not going to let Myers kick again because he had already missed like a PAT and a field goal as well." So it was like, if they miss this kick, it means it's going to overtime, and in overtime they're going to try to score a touchdown, which gives it a six points, and you cover the five and a half spread. Like that's like you need them to miss. So it went wide. I was like, all right, let's go. We got it. Like, we're good. But 
uh, I was actually a little worried about Jameis going right down the field because he did that. Like, he did it twice where, where it looked like the Seahawks were up seven points and they were fine. And then Winston went right back down the field. You know, the Seahawks went up three. Winston took him right down the field. He was playing like the Winston that would have that would have won me a, a game last week compared to the one here that was trying to blow it. So Seahawks prevailed there, minus five and a half. And then how about the statement from the Patriots, right? Or the Ravens, I'm sorry, against the Patriots. Yeah. That one I did not see coming. I thought that Bill Belichick defense was going to dial up a game plan perfectly to, to shut down that rushing attack for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Instead, I mean, they showed, I mean, they made a huge statement that they might be the best team in the NFL or, or one of the best teams in the AFC, maybe compete there with the the Chiefs once, once Pat Mahomes gets back. So that was a huge statement when, uh, and then obviously the Colts with Adam Vinatieri missing that 40 yard kick was a crusher. I mean, that was, that was a tough one. Uh, the Patriot, at least, you know, I can, I can get away with that because it was such a commanding victory that, that the Ravens just, just beat them. I mean, the Ravens beat them and they beat them handedly. With the Colts, though, that's one where it's like, man, that covers right in your face, and it's Vinatieri, Mr. Automatic, and for him to miss it, it's like, oh, just brutal. Yeah, absolutely. So I go one and three, um, and I was lucky to get the one and three because while you lost on Vinatieri, I went on that one with the Steelers escaping with the victory. I don't know what to say about the Jets. I guess we've covered that enough on this podcast, and and I'm done taking the Jets um, for the most part, I think. For the rest of the way, um, the the one that in the honestly, I lost the Patriots, but I wasn't even surprised because I was terrified of that game going into it just because of the way the Ravens always play the Patriots. And it was in Baltimore and it was just it, it scared me. But I thought the three and a half was small enough that the Patriots would be able to do it. But Lamar Jackson is he's just good, man. He made the boogeyman look uh, look scared, so to speak. So uh, the one that that surprised me more than anything, I think, was just the Packers and the way that they lost. I, I thought that was in a lot of ways, my safest pick was taking the Packers, and for them to to lay an egg like they did, that one hurt. So I go one and three. So overall, in our picks, that makes me uh, three and five, which is right the same as Marissa, I think, right, Marissa? Yeah, it was not a good day for me yesterday. I was just as lucky as you were, and uh, thankfully the Seahawks took that one to overtime, just like Connor and I was able to win that one. But yeah, it was not a good day uh, for my picks, but. At least I didn't go 0-4, and, and, you know, it's okay. Next week will be better. <laughs> yeah, it's always – next week will always be better. That's yes. just what we can, can – you know, hang your hat on. <laughs> All right, so the picks weren't good, but you know what was good? The food in Miami, um, away yes, from the stunning. stadium, I think. But also, how about the Press Box Food Power Rankings as Miami brings yeah. it and Hard Rock Stadium jumps from 15 into the top 10. How did they do it, Connor? I don't know, man, because Miami's always been like one of those stadiums where it's fine food, but it's not like ever great. Like it's always one of those things. Where it's not like Washington where you have to eat before you show up. You can always find something there. It's efficient enough, but it's never really all that good. This was like a like a real stunner. Like so they, their food was I stepped in and I was like, oh, I, again, with that anticipation of this isn't going to be that great. It's whatever. First thing I see is they had like three different kinds of salads, which was a nice development. I mean, they had like a nice romaine salad uh, and if you guys want to see pictures of this i actually took a picture of the the menu that they were serving us and then also the the spreads you can find on my instagram at connor underscore j underscore hughes now this isn't like a, if we ever get like a uh can't wait instagram feed i'll just post this stuff there i'm not trying to do like an instagram plug here but they uh that's just where i put the you can find it there on twitter is where i put the pictures of the stuff but they had like three different kinds of salads the one that i jumped on was like a, a um pesto big like thick cherry tomatoes with my i think it was either mozzarella cheese i think it was mozzarella cheese with like a pesto which was really good then they had this like chicken with white wine herbs and mushrooms uh they had beef lasagna and baked ziti and like a parmesan cream sauce and garlic bread 
I was obviously trying to be healthy with this copious amounts of, of uh, pasta they were serving us. So I did not get the garlic bread. But I can tell you that the ziti was pretty good. All this stuff would have benefited from this particular section of the food. All of this like main course stuff would have benefited a lot if there was like the option to add crushed red pepper. But I love crushed red pepper. I added to everything. Um, I would have really appreciated and probably would have made this like really, really good as opposed to just good if they had that there. But there was no option. The, but the baked ziti and, and the cream sauce, that was pretty good. Did, didn't didn't hate that one at all. Uh, the lasagna was actually surprisingly very good. And and I uh, Al, uh, Al, who covers the Jets for Newsday, is is uh, Italian. So anytime there's Italian food, before I get like too far ahead of myself, I ask him, like, what do you think of this? Because he knows it's Italian food. I mean, he's he's like, like you know, it's Italian food. And I said to him, I was like, what do you think of this? He goes, it's not bad. So if you're getting that vote of confidence on a lasagna from an Italian saying, like, if you have an Italian guy, like, and Al is, Al is as Italian as they come, if he's saying this lasagna is not bad, you know it's pretty good. Like, it's by it's by most other standards good. Like, there wasn't too much regatta. The beef was good. The sauce tasted good. Uh, Andy Vasquez, who covers the Jets for the record, he went up for seconds of it. I only had one helping of that. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, very, very impressed with that. And I'm not usually a big lasagna eater, but I thought that was really good. Um the chicken was the only thing I didn't like as much. I just, I'm not a big mushroom fan. I tried it at a couple of bites of it, but it wasn't my, my particular preference. Like I didn't think that was all that great. Um, however, in the corner of the press box, that was like the main buffet style on the corner of the, the press box. They had the Los Ranchos steakhouse catering it. So they were giving you rice beans and like uh, really, really good straight uh, steak tips that were just killer and dynamite like really really good and they were catering it so you got that main strip of food then the steakhouse that was catering it and i was like wow so those two things were really 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 good like between the the lasagna the salad and then the steak you could have made a meal off that and been happy you ate it and then obviously you also had the pasta and stuff like that so it was just it was a very impressive showing for dessert they gave us key lime pie which was top notch, like in all seriousness, Tim and, and Marissa, this was like top notch key lime pie where I was like, I can't, I could, I, I was, if it, if they served that key lime pie at a restaurant, I would have been like, oh, I'm pretty glad I got that. The fact that it was in a press box was like, holy crap, this is a press box. Uh, so that was like the main, the main food where after I had the, the lasagna, then the steak, then the key lime pie, I was like, this is not a 15th seat. This is not this is not a, 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 a number 15 spot. Like this is where you're talking about this potentially, depending on the halftime and post game spread, this could potentially jump top five. Like that that's that was the kind of jump. And I've never seen something like that happen since my since my time on the beat in 2014. I've never seen that substantial of a jump to go from 15 to top five. I was like, holy cow, like th- this is this is what Miami w- was looking at the possibility of. However, the halftime and post-game spreads left much, much, much to be desired. I mean, the the halftime was corn dogs that were kind of soggy. I didn't eat them because we were going out to uh, Chillon on the beach, that Peruvian place I was telling you guys about uh, on Friday's podcast, that we were going out there for after the game for dinner. Uh, so I was like, I'm not going to stuff myself here at the press box, so I can't really appreciate that. So I like that Peruvian place is one of my favorite restaurants on the road of everywhere I've been, uh, like 20-plus cities now. I mean, this is that's one of my top five, top three probably favorite. It might actually be my favorite restaurant with uh, Q39 in, in Kansas City, the barbecue place. Like, this is up there with it. Um, I just love that spot. So I wasn't going to eat too much, but I looked at the the corn dogs. They were soggy. Uh, a couple of the guys that I know that ate them said that they were not very good. Uh, so I stayed away from from the halftime corn dogs, and then post game, uh, they gave like really really crappy pizza. Like I, I know I'm from New York or like the New York area, so like pizza here is is a little bit different. 
this was like disgusting. I think I got to it a little late, so it was kind of it was like uh, room temperature pizza. The bread was disgusting. The cheese was nasty. I mean, it was. I, I took one bite and it made me gag. And I was like, I'm not even gonna <laughs> attempt. Like, I I, I'll, you know I was a little hungry because it's like, all right, we haven't eaten since the like 11 o'clock when the game started. So I'm like, I'm not. I, I was like, all right, I'll have a couple bites before dinner. Kind of like hold me over. I took one bite, nearly barfed on myself, and I was like, all right, this is getting thrown away. Like, this is just disgusting. So for that. I could not I could not justify a move into the top five because of how bad that halftime postgame spread was. However, because of how good it was for the beginning of it all with the key lime pie, with the, the catered steakhouse there, with the lasagna, with the pasta, like because of how good we were looking at there, I feel very confident putting it into the, the number nine spot. So to go from where they were at uh, 15, all the way up to nine. I feel I feel really confident in, in that jump. I think that's the right move, uh, especially for for the highlight of being the key line pie. The key line pie was a highlight uh, as far as just any any stadium I've eaten at, and uh, and uh, obviously the steak, the catered steakhouse was was a highlight as well for any any. I mean, sometimes you have carving stations and press boxes or an omelet bar or something like that, but the fact that you had a steakhouse catering was a great a great thing. I don't know if that's weekly. I assume it might not be weekly. But it, it, the fact that they had it there when I was in the when I was in the press box certainly benefits them. So uh, pretty 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 nice showing there from Hard Rock Stadium for the Dolphins, going from number fifteen all the way up now to number nine, cracking the top ten. I jumped them ahead of New Era Field, which is the Bills, and then Mile High Stadium, which is the Broncos. They probably upgraded the food on Sunday because they knew that everybody that was going to be eating it was about to see the Jets play the Dolphins, and they needed. It might have been honestly. You, you you joke, but that might have been. I, I got. I actually want to reach out to somebody there and be like, "Is this like normal, or is this like a surprise?" Because it was it was pretty good. The um, the PBF PR uh, rankings, a little bit of controversy on Twitter on Sunday um, as you got a little backlash, Connor. But then oh, I was encouraged oh, because yeah, I'm not dealing with that. Well, the backlash, though, was was overcome by a wave of support that I thought was just yeah, it was refreshing right. to damn see. Damn right, man. This is my life's work. You want to come <laughs> in? Actually, my best tweets I got from somebody because this guy because he goes, this is the worst bit on Twitter. Right. You bum. Don't talk to me. Like, don't come <laughs> at me about that. And someone goes like, dude. I've seen your mentions like during a loss. People criticize everything about you. They rip you apart. You never say anything, but someone attacks like the press box and you get all worked up. I was like, dude, that's my baby. Like you, I don't care. You want to crap, like crap on me because of my opinion on the Jets. I don't care. You want to rip me because I wrote this about the Jets. I don't care. It does not. Be- it does. I'm going to go home and I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about this as soon as I hit like send on. Like I, you want to get that worked up over what me covering this crap football team. Go ahead. But you come at me over the press box food power ranks. We got a freaking problem, dude. And I think I I put that guy in his place. Cause you want you want to come at me over that? Uh-uh. Not dealing with it. this is my baby. This is my life's work. When I die, this is what they're gonna talk about. There was this dude who covered the Jets who had press box power rankings. I remember. I swear this is gonna be a legacy. This is gonna be my legacy. And I'm not having anyone take me <laughs> down on it. No way, no way. Especially that bum. I'm not dealing with it. Huh, yeah, it was it was interesting. And it was great to see the the support that that you got on Twitter because come on, people, don't hate the PBF PR. Don't hate it. Hard Rock Stadium officially, by the way, jumping from number fifteen to number nine. So the Jets are far below number nine as far as NFL rankings go. Are they thirty two? Are they thirty one? Are they thirty? I'm not sure, but be sure to check out the NFL Power Rankings podcast, the Athletics week by week look at who's up and who's down in the NFL with host Lindsey Jones and Amy Parlapiano. That's the NFL Power Rankings podcast right here 
on The Athletic. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and also give us a five-star rating. Also, check out theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast. You can get 40% off a one-year subscription to The Athletic. If you don't already, follow Connor on Twitter too, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Uh, Special thanks to Marissa, as always, for producing. This has been the Can't Wait Podcast.